1: Welcome to the 98th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia.
0: And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is our favorite cybersecurity resources.
1: Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, PINow.com. If you need a private investigator you can trust, visit PINow.com to learn more. So we decided to go it alone today to answer one of the questions we are most frequently asked, which is, drum roll please, how in the hell do you guys keep up with developments in the cybersecurity world? So I'm gonna start with some general observations about how we try to keep up because no one really can, it just moves too fast. So we spend probably about two hours of reading a day, each of us, and is it strenuous to run a business and fit in two hours of reading every day? You bet your booties it is. It is a crushing load. So we pretty much begin our day at 6 a.m. at our kitchen table and probably spend 30 minutes reading then, and then during the day, we we do things a little differently. I hold things in my inbox that I want to read and file some stuff in a yeah, maybe later file, and of course later sometimes never comes. And, and
0: I kind of approach it not so much from email, but uh, I'm a big fan of RSS feeds, which is how I get my, my daily firehose dose of, of information. And there's hundreds and hundreds of you know, posts and messages, and et, et cetera, that you go through each day, maybe even up to the thousands. But as far as my favorite cybersecurity, my reading resources, um, anything that Bruce Schneier publishes. You know whether it's articles or blog posts or you know uh, videos or anything that he does, uh, and we'll be speaking more about Bruce as as we go through the, this podcast here. But I want to start off with talking about um, his book, um, which is a what a couple years old now. Sharon, the, the data and Goliath.
1: Oh, I think it's several years old now. Yeah,
0: I know. I know he updated the the preface uh, in that book to uh, to address some of the modern. Information gathering uh, techniques, but basically what he's what he's done in, in data and Goliath is to identify a lot of different places, uh, governments, uh, businesses, things that are uh, where information about you, your perf- personal information, is being gathered in, in a hidden fashion where you don't even know this happened. You know, I mean, take a look at Facebook, right, and, and Cambridge Analytica. Nobody knew that that amount of information was being gathered. But what I like about how how Bruce has gone through this. And identified it is he not only identifies particular uh, data sources or activities that that generate information about you, but he also puts in some of his favorite methods or procedures that he follows in order to minimize that amount of data, uh, and and maybe even anonymize the data. You know when he's on the internet or when he's making phone calls or those kinds of things. But it's really a, a great a great book. To run through. Uh, I first got it on a Kindle, so I, I, I read a lot of things on Kindle, so it's an electronic version, but I found myself highlighting and making notes so much on the Kindle version that I ended up buying the actual hardcover paper version and then going in and highlighting the actual paper pages afterwards. So it's, I really I recommend that. The other print piece that I uh, that I read every uh, religiously is SC magazine. It's a security magazine. They do uh, kind of like think of it more like sort of like a consumer reports for security products. So it's products and software, hardware, those types of things. Uh, they'll they'll address the, the small market, the SMB market, as well as the enterprise market. And the recommendations might be different for each one of those, uh, maybe best of breed in, uh, you know, spam protection or antivirus or any of those kinds of things so it's it's free. the print version's free. you have to fill out a form in order to to qualify to to get the the magazine. uh They also have an electronic version if you want it electronically, you know as well. but those are two of my my favorite uh, reading resources at, at least
1: yeah, and I wanted to mention a couple of of newspaper resources that I enjoy a lot. Two of my favorite news resources are The Washington Post and the New York Times. Um, obviously, you do have to subscribe to those too. But it's it's not a ton of money, and I think it's it's worth it to have reputable sources of information every every day. And of course, uh, you know they're very good about updating and correcting anything if they get something amiss. So the Washington Post now has what they call the Cybersecurity 202, 202 being Washington's area code, and you can subscribe separately to that, which I do. Um, and so you get a lot of very good cybersecurity information, and it's it's not just regional; it's national. Um, and the the New York Times often carries very, very newsworthy articles as well. So I simply watch the headlines which appear by my wish in my inbox. And so if I'm interested, I read it. If not, the delete key is my friend. Um, In this business, you get to be pretty good at looking at a source and a title and saying, I got to read that one or chuck it. So those are two good newspaper sources that I like a lot.
0: So another area, another resource that, that I use are, are podcasts. And I don't, I don't do a lot of listening to, to security podcasts. I do more, more reading, as, as Sharon had indicated. But a couple that I want to point you to, SANS, SANS Institute, it's a wonderful source for, for anything doing with security, whether it's training or any information. But they have what they call the Internet Storm Center, and that happens on a, a, a daily basis. It's about a 7- to 10-minute podcast. And it gives you kind of the highlights, sort of like what Sharon was talking about with the, the Washington Post or the New York Times, those highlight kind of things, uh, maybe three, four, five different items in a podcast form. So you can just listen to it and you don't have to, to, to read the thing. So that's one that I frequent. Another one is uh, called Threat Post. Threat Post is also a, a, a blog uh, stream, but it's done by Kaspersky. And I know you're probably sitting there going, oh, geez, you know, that's a Russian company. What are you doing listening to those things? Well, I I happen to like Kaspersky. (laughs) They tend to be uh, one of the first security firms to identify malware, those types of things, and security risks. But they they have, again, short podcasts. It's not daily. It's not like the SANS one. Uh, So it's on a a periodic basis where they talk about just one specific topic uh, in in that particular podcast. It's not a, a digest like the SANS one is.
1: Well, another thing I wanted to talk about was CLEs and webinars. And I know that most listeners realize that John and I lecture all over the time and all over the place. We've been very, very fortunate to lecture in most of the United States on a cruise ship, in a number of Canadian cities, and even Rome, Paris, and Madrid. So if you're thinking, hey, that's a pretty good gig, well, you're darn right. But one of the best parts of lecturing at conferences is that we also get to listen at conferences to other experts. And since we not only do cybersecurity, but IT and digital forensics, we have the opportunity to learn from some of the best experts in three different kinds of businesses. So for us, other than focusing on our own speaking, we are eager to hear from other speakers. Most speakers are extremely approachable. If you express an interest in what they had to say, They are more than happy to pursue the conversation, either after their session, maybe over a beer, at a reception, whatever. Um, Many of our valuable relationships have been forged with fellow faculty members and also audience members. So I would encourage those of you who are not speakers, but often in the audience, that you should follow up more with the faculty. Uh, We've developed a number of professional relationships with with, uh, attendees, which is great. Uh, And because we speak so much at CLEs, we rarely go to conferences where we don't speak, it's too much travel, because all we ever do is pack, unpack, do the laundry, and pack again. But... We we can still learn because, of course, of the advent of webinars, and there are so many great ones online. So once you get the hang of separating the wheat from the chaff, you can often find webinars that are well worth your time. Often they're free or at low cost. Um, I will only caution you that vendor webinars almost universally tend to be very thinly veiled sales pitches. And if you buy those all-you-can-eat CLEs for some ridiculous price, well, you end up getting what you pay for, and I don't want to waste time with boring speakers who obviously don't have a good or even a current grasp of their their topics. So once I know what experts I, I'm looking for and I know what their qualifications are, or maybe I've heard them before or had them recommended, if, if I see those kind of webinars, I'm as avid a consumer as any consumer can be, um, because I always want to uh, learn more than I know now, and every day other people teach me.
0: Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit
1: www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is our favorite cybersecurity resources. John, maybe you can tell us something about videos. Yeah. At least the, the
0: current generation, a lot of reports have, have, have gone out there saying that they're very much visual learners. So videos are, are are a big, big way to to reach people. And and I believe that too. They should be short uh, because the attention spans, you're not going to sit there and watch a movie, right? 20, 30 minutes worth of a video. But if it's short, then you'll sit there and, and, and capture the essence of it. So some of them that I want to to mention is Security Magazine has videos. So if you just do a search for that, you'll find and they're only a, a couple minutes, you know, one, two, maybe three minutes long. And, and they will even go through and hit topics that are typically, uh, you know, items that Sharon, and I will even address uh, during our cybersecurity training uh, sessions that we do. So things like that. So you get these little snippets, I mentioned sans earlier, you know, as, as a resource for references and those types of things, they have a video of the month that they publish, Uh, and it's only a couple minutes as well. So it's very short, but probably by far, and Sharon, I think you'll agree with this, by far my absolute favorite security videos are produced by Sophos. And they're a couple of minutes, two to three minutes, if that, but they're hilarious. It's like watching Saturday Night Live addressing a security topic, you know, and like some of my favorite,
1: <laughs> some of my, f- well, some, some of my favorite ones are the funny ones, but they, they do have serious yes, ones too. Yeah. And they are really short and they're very <laughs> instructive. But if you go looking for the funny ones, you'll be falling off your seat.
0: Yeah. Like the, the, the email, the one I remember is the email delivery, right? Of How they, they communicate via email. And this guy's got this, an arrow through an envelope and it hits him in the chest. You know, that's, that's, that's their email delivery system. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well I, I remember the one where he says uh suddenly something seems to be different and you you look at him again and he doesn't have any clothes on i mean it's the the desk is strategically positioned mind you but still uh it's very funny so but they are but but those sofas videos you definitely want to check those out absolutely so I'll take us over to uh blog world, and uh, of course, uh, as most of you will know, I do have a blog called Ride the Lightning, and I've been very honored that it has received so many awards and is now in the ABA's Hall of Fame, but um, I certainly wouldn't put it up against such um, amazing blogs as, say, Schneier on security, And, and John has talked about security guru Bruce Schneier and how much he admires him. Uh, He is uh, today the chief technology officer of IBM Resilient, and he's a board member of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And John and I are huge fans of the EFF. But there's there's just nothing he does that isn't good, and his blog is, is really excellent. Naked Security is published by Sophos, and again, you've heard how wonderful their videos are. Well, the, the blog has won multiple awards for being the best corporate blog, best IT security blog, yada, yada. So that's, that's very high on my list. I like Dark Reading, which is more a place where enterprise security folks go to learn about new cyber threats and defenses. Uh, SC Media has a really good good blog. I like Threat Post, which has a lot of news about cybersecurity and also publishes videos and podcasts. Uh, Krebs on Security, which John has, has already mentioned, that's a, that's a wonderful blog. Uh, the Hacker News the electronic frontier foundation is not a blog but it does publish a free newsletter so i would i would commend that one to your attention and maybe last the digital guardian so we'll we'll make sure we get all those up on the on the website when the bo- the podcast is published
0: a couple more Sharon, that I I want to add to to your list too is um, Bruce Schneier also has what he's called a cryptogram. Oh yes. And that's a monthly yes. monthly newsletter. So if you don't want to do the daily, you know, or whatever or the, the the more frequent stuff, then just subscribe to his monthly one and you'll get all of that in one big
1: digest, you know. I don't know how I forgot that. So thank
0: you. <laughs> uh, another one is uh, on Tech Republic is uh, they have a security um, section of Tech Republic. That's another one that I like. Softpedia News is another blog that I frequent quite a bit. And then uh, my final one is Tripwire. They have a state of security blog that has a lot of great information that's on there. So, again, when I, I do RSS feeds, so similar to what Sharon does and looking at the headlines or whatever and, you know, put this over to, uh, you know, some folder for, you know, read later or just delete, um, I, I scan through my RSS feeds doing the same kind of thing, push this over to another folder for, for later reference or, um, you know, just boom, you know, mass delete all, all these different posts. So, having said that, I'll move into uh, some, some government resources. Uh, and, and yes, there are some valuable things that come out of our government.
1: <laughs> <laughs> some days, some days. <laughs>
0: Um, NIST is a, is a good resource. That's the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Um, they're front and center today in, in the cybersecurity world. Uh, they have their cybersecurity framework, that, which they've modified. It's now sitting at version 1.1. But that's a, a good resource for you to go after. Another one is the Center for Information Security, CIS. They have uh, 20 controls with, that they've grouped together uh, in, in three different areas. Those kind of the I know Sharon's heard this a lot, but I I always say when we lecture that NIST is the what what should you be addressing and CIS is the how how do you implement those things that NIST has has talked about. FTC has has uh, you know some breach response documents. They've got a lot of good things that are available free on on the the FTC uh, web uh, sources as well. But one that I think that everyone ought to consider at least. Well, a couple of them. Before I go into there, uh, you should be familiar with IC3, the Internet Crime Complaint Center. And the reason I say that is should you have a security incident, that's going to be the place that you go to report it. So it's not just a, a security reference, but it's, it's, it's somewhere where you can go and say, all right, I've had a ransomware attack or I've had somebody pounding on my firewall or whatever it is. So IC3 is, is something you should be familiar with. But the, the one resource I think that everyone ought to consider and consider joining is InfraGuard. Um, And you get a lot of great information from them. It's sponsored by the FBI. You do have to sign up, fill out this whole form. They will run you through a background check because there is some confidential information that they might release to InfraGuard members that they don't release to the general public. So that's kind of the the why there. But what what happens there is that you get a lot of advance notice of security threats uh, and things that they're seeing you know uh, that the FBI is saying across all of industries and and
1: all of the technical infrastructure so it's a it's a great thing to to become a member of they also of course have a legal vertical and so that can be very interesting right. when they have something that's specific to the practice of law yep so let me move on to something that people don't normally think of and that is ABA formal opinions on ethics we have seen just, this is just to show you how useful these things can be. We have seen three of them in the last two years that have driven an awful lot of conversation around cybersecurity. Uh, the first was ABA formal opinion 477-R. The R stands for revised because the opinion was published May 11th of 2017 and then released in a revised version May 22nd of 2017. That is uh, entitled Securing Communications of Protected Client Information. This was the very first time we had seen and I'm quoting, for example, if client information is of sufficient sensitivity, a lawyer should encrypt the transmission and determine how to do so to sufficiently protect it and consider the use of password protection for any attachments." Of course, you can also encrypt the entire thing, but that's all right. They, they got mostly where they wanted to go. So this, this was a real driver for people lecturing, as we certainly did, that now you ethically had to, in our judgment and the judgment of, of bar counsel in many of the states, you had to have encryption at least available for usage in situations where it was warranted under the opinion. Uh, The next one was ABA Formal Opinion 482, Ethical Obligations Related to Disasters, and that was published September 19th of 2018. Um, The interesting part of that one in particular was that it was pushing you uh, pretty much toward the cloud because that's your security. As you might remember, in Katrina, it was not good enough to have uh, a backup at the office and a backup that you took home with you because your home and your office were too close together And so a lot of people lost their practices altogether. So that really isn't the way to do it. And, you know, we could do a whole podcast on any of these opinions. But there are a number of ethical obligations in this opinion, which kind of suggests the use of technology. Uh, and, and so that is one that you really want to go through. And the last one is ABA Formal Opinion 483, published on October 17, 2018, Lawyer's Obligations After an Electronic Data Breach or Cyber Attack. Actually, we were one of the first that started Lecture about that particular opinion. And I think that's still gathering steam. And I'm kind of expecting, John, we're going to see more after the holiday season is over because I think it kind of snuck up on people. But it's a really excellent opinion on what you have to do and uh, what you have to – particularly what you have to tell your client, which is always a big deal. And fundamentally, they want you to tell your client whatever the client would need to know in order to make a decision relative to the news. And then, of course, they want you to explain that you're investigating and remediating whatever was causing the problem. And at this point, John, I'm going to detour a little bit from our script because one of our favorite resources is our friend and frequent co-author and co-presenter, Dave Reese. He is an absolutely invaluable and generous resource. Uh, He, like us, spends a boatload of time reading about cybersecurity, and he is always gracious enough to send along anything he sees that he thinks would interest us. So anytime you see Dave Reese's name on an article, webinar, or CLE, you've got a really true expert, and it's always fun listening to Dave and working with him. So here, here's our shout out to Dave.
0: Yeah, and we've had Dave as a guest too. On
1: our, yeah, met several it. times, yep. several times. So why don't you tell if, if we've left out any resources you can think of, and with all this reading, uh, as 2018 draws to a close, are, are there any particular thoughts you have on what we're likely to see in 2019?
0: Yeah, I, you know, as far as reading resources and things go, you know, there's, there's a lot that, that's out there. Uh, I, I would just suggest uh, that you develop your own favorite you know, list. Uh, we've given you a head start, hopefully, on on some things. Um, you know, do do a search, and this is kind of how I d- get into this. Is as Sharon mentioned, when we're at conferences, or if I see or, or something that somebody's written an article and they make, make a reference to something, and I check the reference out and say, you know what, I should be watching that, and hopefully they've got an RSS feed and I can put that feed into into my big bucket of data, and that's kind of how I, you know, assemble m- my stuff together. But as far as, you know, kind of my crystal ball and predictions for the coming year, we've already started to see some of that uh, occur. And we talked about this this morning, Sharon, and the threat landscape is actually morphing. Malware is becoming extremely, extremely sophisticated. It's polymorphic. So it's it's morphing on the fly. Um, it's also utilizing some types of artificial intelligence. So it knows, as an example, are you running semantic endpoint protection? And if you are, this is how it's going to change itself and how it's going to react. Uh, if you're using something, you're using Trend Micro, well, it's gonna take a different path, as an example. So it's this constant morphing that's going to make this battle extremely difficult. But the good side of that, right, it's it's this this push and pull between the bad guys and the good guys, is that artificial intelligence is also being used in the security products. And we're seeing more of that, so it's using AI and big data and those characteristics to help combat what some of these threats are and what some of these uh, attacks are. But at the end of the day, I think it's actually going to be getting worse. Um, you know, the cyber world is here. Uh, uh, this thing they call the internet, I don't think is ever going to go away. So, uh, and once you in, once you connect all these devices up and you have this network that has all this data moving around, um, it's just. You know, people are going to find new ways to steal your information, to make money off of you, or, or whatever, or to cause damage, right? In in some cases, and actually weaponize things. So it's 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 going to be very very difficult. I think uh, uh, what a lot of lawyers need to to be aware of is that uh, they need to be educated, uh, do attend some of the CLEs like Sharon was talking about, understand what those new threats are, and at least once a year, you know, stick your toes into that technology water. Uh, especially as it relates to security, because every time we give a presentation, it it always changes, right, Sharon? It's it's never the same.
1: <laughs> it, it it does, it does, and we sound sort of dark and gloomy. But the world of cybersecurity is, by its nature, pretty dark and gloomy. You have any thoughts for for the future? I'm just glad we decided to steer the ship in the direction of cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be a pretty good executive uh, move. Yep, so yep. I'm I'm liking it, John. I'm liking it. <laughs>
0: Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at legaltalknetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts.
1: And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics technology and cybersecurity services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives.
0: Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.